Testies, testies, one, two, three. Testies, testies, one, two, three. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Boxing Club Podcast. I am yours truly, Big Chubbs, alongside with my potter, Lou Almighty. What's up, Big What's up, baby? What's up? Hey, bro, today's a little special today. Oh, man. We got a former future, no, not a former, but a future Hall of Famer with us today. That's right. We got an almighty coach. The one and only. You know, who's... He's got accolades like you wouldn't believe. Long resume. Long. You know, he's he's coached fighters like Timothy Bradley, mm-hmm. Lucas Matisse, mm-hmm. Ruslan Provodnikov. You got Omar Figueroa, Julio Diaz. Who else is in here? Who else is in here, Chubbs? Don't sugarcoat it. Who else is in here, baby? You got Beck the Bully, too, which is one of my... This guy's been eyeing him for a long time. Ladies and gentlemen, we got... The one, the only, Joel Diaz in the club with your boys. The coach, baby. What's up, coach? How are you doing today? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. That was a nice in- intro. <laughs> appreciate it. Hey, it's good, man. It's always good to be here and be part of you guys' show. To me, is an honor. Obviously, you know, hey, we gotta we got to be out there for the people. And you guys, man, you guys help us a lot with every little moment, every minute that you guys dedicate to the sport is always appreciated. And I'm, I'm happy to be here with you guys and always... Pleasure. I well, appreciate we, it. We want to thank you for for giving us this opportunity to to come out here today to KBX and uh, and and have the presence of to sit down and talk to you for a little bit. Absolutely, I know we know you're busy too, so we do greatly appreciate it. You got you got work going on in the back right now. Well, look, the thing is, this I'm always busy. I'm always busy since I wake up in the morning. But you know, I always tend to make time for for the people because you guys, you know, the fans, the people that are always watching what we're doing. It's, it doesn't matter. A little bit of time out of your busy busy schedule is a good time. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm here. You know, I am busy, but I also have a team. I have a team here. And it's just a matter of it makes some improvisions, you know, improvise a little bit and have everything going. Things don't stop. They keep yeah. moving. And uh, we I, I make the time for you guys, man. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it, man. So we want to... We know your accolades, mm-hmm. you know, we know what, you, what you've what you done to the sport, we know, you know, the history that you've made, but uh, we kind of want to dig in to get to know you. Yeah, no I, I want to get to know Joel Diaz, not the coach, but the person. So uh, give us a little background about yourself, coach. Um, not too much, because, you know, we'll gradually get into it, <laughs> yeah. but uh, well, break us down a little bit. Well, um... I mean, I started in the sport of boxing at a really young age. I was 13 years old when I started boxing. And I mean, there's a lot of things to be said. And if we start, it will never, it will never end. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I got, a, I got approached a couple of weeks ago. Some guy wants to do a, a, reality, a reality with me. This guy works for TNT, and he's willing to come down and do a reality. And then there's a, a guy from Cancun that he listened to my story from the beginning of my career and he already got the funds and he wants to come down in May to do a, a series of my life. Wow. And wow. Put wow. It on Netflix and this and I said, wow, he says, I'm very excited. I want to go out there and, you know, be with you and set it up. I already got the funds and ready to go. Because my story is it's a long story. It's a it's a sad story. At the same time, you know, it's like a roller coaster. You got some ups and downs, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everything, not everything that shines is gold. Uh, we do have obstacles and we go through some struggles. But uh, um, it was hard getting to where I'm at right now. And to me now, it's harder to maintain where I am right now. And 
it was the fact that me being a kid in Mexico, I was born in Mexico, uh, Michoacan, Mexico, and my parents left us over there with their grandparents to a point where I didn't know who our parents were. Honestly, oh, they were wow. they were here in the U.S. Uh, working to obviously to make a better living, and uh, got to a point where years went by and we grew up we grew up with our grandparents, but there was a time where my my parents decided to bring us over, and when they did, we're like, okay, we came to the United States without knowing who we're gonna live with, but it was our parents. So coming into the United States, we had to adapt and you know get to know the language, going to school and here and there. And starting as a kid, uh, you know, I I got a hold of a newspaper route. Mm. And, and I used to deliver newspaper in a couple streets where I lived. And my hobby at the time was uh, bikes. I would go to a yard sale and buy some rims, you know, whatever. A couple of other friends. And one day, just riding our bikes around town in Coachella, we found out about we run into the Coachella Boxing Club, and that's how we started. We went in there like every like every Irish kid goes in there and tries it out, and then we get in there and get some sparring. We got our bloody noses and stuff, and we keep coming back. Boxing is a sport that I, I I've always said it is very addictive. Regardless, if you get beat up or you beat somebody up, you keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, up to this point in my life, if I walk away from the sport for a week on a vacation, I mean I'm like oh I'm gonna rest, but two days later I want to come back. And, and that's how my life started, you know. I was 13 years old, weighing 136 pounds. Uh, and as I always say, and I always mention it, I lost my first four amateur fights as, a, as, as an amateur. It was, uh, it was tough because I said, nah, you know, I see a lot of, a lot of uh, fighters at that point. Back then, 1980, 1985, <clears throat> I see a lot of good names in the sport of boxing. Great talent. But I was a kid. You know, and I was, I wanted to be a boxer. 13 years old, I fought one time, I lost. Second time, third time, fourth time. So I collected four second place trophies. Where it was sad for me when I would wake up in the middle of the night because that was a, a, a sport that I had so much passion for, but I'm like, I'm not successful in it. So what am I gonna do? Nah, I'm not gonna go no more. But the next morning, I'll go run, get ready again. And that's what happens, and I've always, I've done a lot of uh, a lot of speeches over my life in schools. When it's career day, I always get called for career day. This is not my this is not a career. I didn't go to school. I learned this, you know. I learned this through life. So when I talk about my life, people are like, "Whoa," you know, because I've always said, you know what, this is not for me. I lost my first fight, my second fight, my fourth fight. So, but the next morning I will wake up and I go running and I go to the gym, and then how everything started. I started losing weight. I started losing weight, dedicating more time to the sport. At one point, I was 15 years old, weighing 100 pounds. And then I started dominating in the sport of boxing. But then I started setting goals, you know? That's the reason why life is about setting goals and accomplishing your goals. Uh, I, work hard for, I work hard for what I have and for what I want. Uh, I learned that since I was a kid because um, when I was growing up, it was the era of Shane Mosley, Oscar De La Hoya, and we're in the same era. And uh, I would go to fights, and I would see the tournaments, and I would always see Oscar De La Hoya winning, Shane Mosley winning, other fighters, Paper Riley, and all those names at the time. At the time, but I was always the kid that was always competing, and I would see at the end of the tournament there was always a trophy. I remember the four foot trophy 
And it was the fighter of the tournament. The most valuable fighter of the tournament. And it was always them. So to me, like, one day I'm going to get that. One day I'm going to get that. To me, that was like a world championship. Yeah. And I worked hard for it. Started winning fights. And then I went to a tournament in Arizona. I remember it was uh, the Gene Lewis Invitational. And I won every single fight. And then the championships, I, I won with a very nice performance. And at the end of the tournament, they gave me a trophy. Like, hey, this guy's, man, I got the best fighter of the tournament. So to me, that was like a big accomplishment. Like, I was a world champion. So came back with with uh, my confidence very elevated. I was in town. I was I would go to school, and my, my name was on the paper. Everybody knew I was a boxer. Every morning... My my first period teacher would would read the article, and it was good. It was it was a nice little run. I was doing really well in the amateurs. Competed in a lot of tournaments, but everything hit when uh, when I qualified to go to the Olympics in 1992 mm-hmm. and uh, Barcelona, and I was there and I beat everybody. And all of a sudden, like they come and they give me the news. We are sorry. You cannot participate. We cannot. You cannot go. I know you're the number one. In, you're the one, number one in the nation, but you cannot qualify right now. Why not? Because you're not a U.S. citizen. Oh, uh, man. No that, like, I mean, that was like a cold bucket of water, you know? So, and I was like, oh, that was my dream. You know, I was like, I work hard for this. Yeah, but you're not a U.S. citizen. You can't represent the U.S. because you're not. Say, okay, so, so what am I going to do? What can I do? Well, you got to go to Mexico and, and see if you could represent Mexico. But going to Mexico will be like starting all over again from the bottom. Yeah. Scaling up yeah. like that. So I turned pro, I turned professional, and and as I started uh, scaling up as a professional fighter, I was doing really good. Uh, I won the Intercontinental IBF, IBF title, um, beating the guy, the first guy to ever drop Oscar De La Hoya in his professional career. I won. From there on, I started moving up. I fought for the world title in South Africa against uh, Philip Holiday, and from there on, everything was good. But I started, I was having problems with my eye, you know, because I wanted to be a world champion. At one point, I wanted to be, I wanted to get a, I wanted to get a, a, a most valuable fighter trophy. I got it. But then I wanted to become a world champion at that point. And fighting for a world championship, I was having problems with my eye. When I fought Philip Holiday, I was having problems with my right eye. And I remember I never told anybody. My only sparring was my brother, Antonio. I took him to Africa with me and he was telling me, hey, Keep your right hand up. I'm, I'm landing a left hook on you. I can't see it. At that time, I was having problems with my right eye. and I've had a, a problem with my eye since I was a kid, but then I had a, a renal detachment. But as I was going, I was getting to the biggest fights, I was having problems with my eye where I couldn't see out of it. Went to Africa, and it happened by my bad luck. I get a cut on my right eye right here. It was a cut from here all the way to the end of it. On my good eye. And I still fought 12 rounds. I remember there was blood all over, and then they would throw water on my head. But I couldn't see good out of this eye, and I had blood on my, on my right. Okay, I fought the fight. I lost the decision. Came back home, and I said, okay, I'm going to keep it as is. Things are going to get better. And, and then I got another opportunity to fight for a, for a title eliminator, to fight for the WBC title against Stevie Johnston. And on my title eliminator, I honestly fought with one eye. Because by then, I couldn't see out of it completely. The only one that knew was my brother, Antonio, and my wife. And I never told anybody, like, hey, you got to tell somebody. No, 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 I'll go to the doctor after. So I fought. Thank God I won the fight. And next day, I go to the doctor. And that's when the doctor says, you know what? Your career is over. 
your retinas, oh. your retinas detached pretty bad. And the clock is like, like from one to seven o'clock. So it's pretty damaged. Mm -hmm. So there's not really much we can do. So basically you cannot fight anymore. And then that's how, that's how my, my, my story happened based on my eye. And when I retired as a fighter, then I just took me some time to digest it. It was hard for me because all I did was, you know, was boxing. That's the only thing I did in my career. I didn't, I didn't play any other sports. Boxing was my primary and my only sport. So then I started helping Antonio. Back to, I went back to the gym, helping Antonio train, and he became a champion, and then Julio. So then, as I said at one point, I started accomplishing things. I got the best fighter of the tournament trophy, got a few of those. As a professional, I wanted to be a world champion. My career went down the drain. I was an international champion. So when I decided to become a trainer, I said, I'm gonna be a trainer. If I'm gonna become a trainer, I'm gonna be a trainer. I'm gonna be like one of those guys that, oh, I'm gonna try and see how it goes. I'm gonna go 100%. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do it 100%. And being a trainer 100% like me is not easy. And I've seen it, I've seen it, I travel the world. I've seen trainers that are there and they go to fights just because they like to travel, they like to go and explore. I don't. I'm a trainer that I dedicate time to my fighters. If we go to, if we go to New York, we land in New York and I'm there for the fighter. If he eats, I, we eat together. If he's resting, we rest together. I'm not like, he's in his room, I'm gonna go sightseeing. Nope, I'm right there. As soon as he wakes up, we go together, you know, because he's my pri uh, he's my priority. Yeah. And that's what I do. And uh, I mean, I've been to some of the most beautiful places in the world. I've been to Monaco. In Monaco, I was with Rula Provalnica, where everything is like, hey, we go train, we go breakfast in the morning, we go train. He rests, we rest. Later on, we go train, we go train. At night, we walk, we walk together. But being a trainer, 100% is not easy because you have to sacrifice your family, special moments. Believe me, I, I've, I've missed uh, special family moments. You know, some of my kids' birthdays, my parents' birthdays, my wife's anniversaries, you know? And uh, it's a big sacrifice, but uh, we're here and we love the sport now. My next, my next project is I started building my gym, my own gym. I trained out at the Boys and Girls Club for many, many years. And, uh, you know, I was comfortable there because everything was provided by the city. And, but there was a point where the pandemic hit and I said, okay, you know, I'm going to move on and I'm going to start my own thing. Thank God. For some, for some people, yeah, the pandemic really hurt us, hurt a lot of people around the world. It hurt me too in a way, but to me also was a blessing because now I'm starting something that's gonna be mine. It's gonna be my legacy. Uh, and you know, that's what I wanna do, you know. Uh, I wanna have something that, that speaks on, on my behalf when I'm no longer around, you know. Oh, very good. And that's, uh, I, wanna, I wanna leave a legacy behind so that when, in my absence, there's something that people can, can really talk about. We did a lot of good, good things with Tim Bradley, um, five world titles, Antonio, Julio, mm -hmm. Omar Figueroa, Lucas Matisse, Francisco Vargas, Diego de la Hoya, and many more fighters. Now we got the new, the new era of fighters. We got Beck, Israel, the, the champion like Madaliev, Shakram, uh, Raja, Batir, and we're just getting better. I think that right now, at this point in my career, I am in my prime right now. I think that this is my moment. The past was just steps to get where I'm at right now. And 
and now that I'm here, I think it's like I'm like a like a like a like a jet. I'm barely on the runway, and I'm barely gonna start elevating. And, yeah, I'm gonna start taking off, and it's a blessing. It's a blessing for me having such a great team. That's why I had to uh, bring people into my team. I got my brother Antonio now. After he retired, uh, he's still in the sport. He is my right hand guy here. When I leave, he stays. When he leaves, I stay. Now I, I included another member, uh, a guy that that actually made the first amateur event when I did my first amateur fight. Oscar Gracia, he's, he's a man that has a lot of experience. He's trained a lot of good fighters in the past. And now he, he's a retired postman. He's here, he's helping me. And I expanded my team because I wanna have a great team where all these fighters get the proper training, get the proper attention, and everybody gets, gets their training in to perform at the best. Very good. Are you going to keep it local? Are you going to stay in the, in the valley? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Very I'm going to I'm going to keep it local. Uh, this is my town. This is where I've I've had all the support. Yeah, this is where you solidified got, your name. We got sure. so many. We got so many young, young talented fighters coming up. Uh, that that in the future they're going to be world champions. You know, mm -hmm. uh, some of them finish their careers. Well, other was, others are ready starting. starting. Yeah, no, definitely. And I've seen you. You, yeah. you go everywhere, Coach. You're, you're actually right. I've seen you in uh, when Trout fought in uh, Pachanga. Yeah. You were in there, too. Um, and that, that list you started, Chubbs, you had all the list of, of, of his fighters. You forgot You forgot one of them that I was keeping a big eye on. Cool. See, Beck for him is what used to be for me was Victor Ortiz. You had Victor Ortiz. Victor, in for I had, oh, that's I right. Had, right. I had Victor Ortiz. Ortiz you know, bit. a story with Victor. Victor was... Victor's always been my friend. I was a big, uh, I, I've been a big fan. And I was a big fan of Victor when he started his career. Yeah, me too. He was a very strong fighter. With the I bangs, mean, right? He had the bangs. Yeah. And uh, I always, I always thought he was going to be the, the next big thing of boxing. The next Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah, the next Oscar De La Hoya. But, you know, he had a tough, he had a tough, uh, a tough career. Um, sometimes, sometimes you go through some heavy obstacles. And you have to over, uh, overcome them, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was there when he made his professional debut, and I followed him for a long time. So we became friends. And then when when he fought uh, when he fought Luis Colasso, that was that was the one for me. <laughs> yeah, when he fought Luis Colasso, at that point I was training the Magdaleno brothers, Diego Magdaleno and Jesse yeah. Magdaleno, and they were at my house. They were actually friends. They were really good friends. Yeah. They've been good friends. We're at my house. And then Diego was closer to me, and then Diego was like, I was like a father figure to Diego. And he comes over to my house, we're watching the fight. And before the fight started, I'm looking, I'm looking at Victor walking out of the dressing room, and I tell Diego, he's not looking okay. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I can tell in his face that something's wrong. He's not okay. Yeah. And he says, what do you mean? I said, I don't know, but I have a feeling that he's not okay there. He's not all there. He's distracted. He was okay. So the fight starts, and when he got knocked out, uh, I said, "Man, I told you, I noticed something was wrong with him, yeah. just by the look of his demeanor, right?" Yeah. So after the fight, uh, at that time I was training, uh, I was training Omar Figueroa for for a big fight coming, and then one day, a week later, two weeks later, uh, Diego from Vegas he drove to Indio, and his coach, I'm gonna go visit you. Okay, come down. He says, I have a surprise for you. <laughs> really? Okay. Nice. So then when I get to the gym, the surprise was that Victor drove from Ventura. And he goes, hey, coach, uh, 
Victor wants to talk to you. Actually, that same day, he just came to talk to me. And he goes, Coach, I want you to train me. I go, okay, let's do it. But remember, with me, it's not easy. With me, it's not easy, Vic. He goes, yeah, I know. That's what I want. And the, the problem with Victor is this. He was such a great, talented fighter. They had so much potential that... Uh, he had that raw ability, yeah, right? Yeah, very raw ability. Very, very powerful, very solid. Mm -hmm. But he got to the point where uh, he had so much people around him that it was what he wanted. It wasn't what the trainer wanted. With me, it's what I want. It's not what the fighters want. Yeah. I mean, to me, I'm the boss here. If I tell you to do one thing, you're going to do it. There's no such thing as, oh, question. I can't. You can't. I know when you can't, and I know when you can't. Yeah. And believe me, I've had enough experience where if I tell you to do something, you're going to do it. And there's no and, and there's no such thing as, okay, let's cut it down. No, no, no. If I tell you to give me 100 push-ups, you're giving me 100 push-ups. If I see you struggling, you're crying, you're still going to give me 100 push-ups. I don't, you know, that's just the way it goes. And, and there, you bring, I can tell, huh. even people that don't don't know your background or whatnot, that you can tell on TV, just the way you talk and coach your fighters that you're a no BS. This is how you got to stick to the game plan. I love, and, and I love to win. I love to win. And I'm aggressive. I'm aggressive with my fighters because victory is, uh, is enjoyed after, you know. Yes. You enjoy the victory. I cannot get soft. That's why I keep a I keep a strong composure in the corner with my fighters. I bring the energy. Sometimes I have to calm everybody down because I am the column of the team. You know, I'm the structure. If I crumble, everybody crumbles. Yep. You know, yeah. when 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 uh, when um, Tim Bradley fought uh, Ruslan Provodnikov, that night was so epic for me. And I believe me, I pulled oh I pulled gosh. cards out of everywhere to keep a composure when he was literally dead. Yeah. I mean, Bradley was dead in six round. Every round he was coming to me, his eyes rolled back like slot machines. And I had to wake him up and talk to him while his father and everybody in the corner were like, were panicked. And I had to, hey, please come, hey, guys, come down. Let me handle this, you know. Talking to the corner, talking to him. And that's just my character. And with Victor, when he came down and he started training and he thought it was going to be like he used to be before, where uh, he would hit the bag and, ah, I'm tired. I'm going to do, I'm going to do two rounds instead of four. Okay, Vic, that's fine. With me, it was right. like, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And it got to a point where one day we're doing a routine. We're doing a routine in a group of three. And it was like we do ro uh, jump rope routines where we do different di different, uh, different workouts. And, and I'm telling them, okay, let's go. Bring your, bring your knees up. Okay, let's go slow. Okay, fast. Okay, doubles. And then all of a sudden, he started feeling the pain. And he got mad and he throws the, he throws the rope on the floor. <laughs> and he walks away. And I'm looking at him like this, and everybody's working. And he thought he was going to be like, okay, I'm done. That's it. And all of a sudden, I look at him, and I said, Vic, when you're done throwing your fit, get your ass back on the rope. You're not done yet. So he looks at me like, oh, it's serious. I go, get back and finish. You're not done yet. And he puts his head down. He goes and gets on the rope. And Diego tells him, I told you, right here, he's the boss, not you. Yeah. Yeah. And I made him finish. One time, we were doing a routine of sit-ups. And then at the end, everybody has to do the same by time. And if somebody stops before that minute hits, if one person stops, everybody starts all over. So he was holding everybody back. And I go, okay, everybody stop because Victor stopped. And come on, Vic, we did it again. We did like four times. In the fifth time, he did it. I go, it took you five times when you could have done it the first time, but he was hurting. And I said, hey, I'm not here, I'm not here to play. If you're here to waste my time, Go find somebody else, cause I'm not like that. I like I like to win. I'm always on my fighters. I like to make I like to make them aggressive in the ring, because 
this is a full contact sport. Yeah. You cannot feel sympathy for yeah. the opponent in front of you. Obviously, outside the ring, we are friends, we're family. But when you get in that ring, I always tell my fighters, either his family's gonna eat or your family's gonna eat. That's right. Yeah. So that's yeah, you can't play in there. Yeah. So you play basketball, play football, play golf, you can't, can't play, play boxing. boxing. You can't play boxing. So what was it about boxing that got you that engaged to like what like what made you love it so much? What made you want to keep coming back after over and over and over? I was a sixth grader. I was a sixth grader and I started playing soccer. And I remember we were we were doing really well. I wasn't a good soccer player, but but I could run. Yeah. I could run and defend the ball. And we made it to the finals and we were winning the we were winning the game. And before the end of the game we lost because somebody made a mistake. Because this guy didn't do this. And so as we're walking we're walking out and everybody's like, Yeah, we could have won, but because of you and I like, I don't like this, you know, it's like I have to depend on somebody else to win. Nah, you know. You know, I don't like this. You know, I'm gonna play a sport that if I lose, I lose, and I don't have to blame it on anybody. It's like if I lose, I lose because of myself. If I win, I win because of myself. So that's why I never like to play uh, team sports. You know, yeah. I like boxing because it's like one on one. It's like you beat me, I beat you. Yeah. It's just me and you. That's it. And we don't have to blame anybody else because oh, because of him we lost, or because of him we won. And that was my theory, and I've always kept it. That's why. I played soccer for for that tournament in, in middle school, and after that, I never played any other sports. And that's crazy because that's not the first time I hear that. Of, of the reason why you know people choose yeah. boxing is because oh well, if I lose, I lose. Yeah, it's me. It's me. It's me. It's, 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 One yeah, dude I, came in tired. Yeah. yeah. So, so what what can you tell us about Lee Espinosa? Lee Espinosa, it's uh, that that man right there uh, deserves all the credit in the world because. Um, he was actually the, the the founder of the Diaz brothers. He was the founder of the Diaz brothers. Uh, when uh, there's a lot of stories on Diaz Spinoza because when I started, when I started boxing, uh, he started training me, and I did a little bit of of a career in the amateurs, and then all of a sudden I started bringing another brother of mine. His name is uh, Jesus. Call him Shaggy. Great fighter. He, I mean, one of the best. I think if he would have had the discipline, he would have been the best fighter of all four of us. But he didn't have the discipline. He was always after the girls, the parties and stuff. So it got to a point where I started doing good and then I started bringing my brothers. I, br I would bring Shaggy, I would bring Antonio, and I would bring Julio. And we would get in trouble because my dad, my dad wasn't into it. My dad, honestly, my dad wasn't into us you know, playing. I mean, very Mexican, old school parents where if your kids are on the street, they're, they're probably smoking weed or getting gangs. Yeah. So my dad would, hey, what are you guys doing? We're gonna go, no, 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 forget about that. Uh, go clean the yard, go pick up this, or clean this, or clean that. Like, so there was times, honestly, that we would walk out of the back door or jump out the window to go to the gym. Oh, wow. I would get in trouble. I would get in trouble for taking my brothers with me because my dad would say, hey, I was already at the age where, okay, you're already, you're already old enough to go places, leave your brothers here. I mean, like that. So we would get in trouble. Mm -hmm for walking out the back door and going to the gym. And we love the sport, all my brothers. And uh, Lee Espinosa, at one point, he came and, and talked to my dad and said, hey, these kids right here, they have potential. Uh, let me train them. You don't, have to, you don't have to pay nothing. You don't have to you know, give any money. When we travel, we take care of it. And, 
and that's how everything started. So Lee, Lee Espinosa came to your house to tell your parents, yes. let your kids. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And, wow. And there was time. There was times in which he would tell me, "Hey, we're gonna go fight in LA. We're gonna go fight San Diego." We're gonna, and then I will I will come to my dad and say, "Hey, Lee told me that we're gonna go fight tomorrow." And my dad would tell me, "Who is he? He's not your father." I go, "But we're gonna go fight." Like. No, you have things to do. We're gonna go here, so I won't sleep all night trying to see. Before he went, got up and went to work, to convince him to let me. You know, I would have to call Lee. Hey, can you come in? and then Lee would come and tell him, "Hey, let him fight." He's, and that's how he would bring. One day he comes to the house and Antonio and Julio were were wrestling and beating each other up on the floor, kicking each other, and he told him, "Hey, look." You don't want to let them go to the boxing gym. Well, over there, they got gloves. They got headgear. Look, they're beating each other up right there. Look, they're just kicking <laughs> each other in the head. And Leo Spinoza, Leo Spinoza carried us under his wing. He he taught us he taught us how to throw a jab. With that, I, with, with that, I can tell you everything. And the person that taught you how to throw a jab is the person that really dedicated the time. Uh, Leo Spinoza took the time to, to teach us how to walk the line, uh, taught me how to walk the line, Antonio, Julio, everybody, and he he built us. He built he built me, and then he built Jesus, and then Antonio, and then Julio, and that's how everybody started. We started in the Coachella Boxing Club. Uh, Lee Espinosa, I think that thanks to him, we are we are here. If it wasn't for him from the beginning, who set the foundation, uh, we probably wouldn't be here. But he dedicated his time. Wow. He dedicated, he invested his time in teaching us. He dedicated, like I said, uh, special moments in his family, um, like every other trainer. And I remember, because we, we would travel together with him to fights and and he would leave his family the way we do it now. And uh, you know, that man right there deserves all the credit in the world because he generated a lot of great fighters, a lot of fighters that, that are still in existence and they are making a name for themselves. And uh, you know we carry we carry his legacy because we are here because of him because he was the one that planted the seed at one point and he watered it forever. Well, he just got inducted to the West Coast Hall of Fame, right, of boxing. Yes. So congratulations to Lee Espinosa. Congratulations uh, with his fellow alumni, uh, Oscar De La Hoya. Mm -hmm. Do you have a relationship with Oscar De La Hoya? Sure. Are you mm -hmm. guys good friends or? Yeah, we're, we're good friends, and uh, I work. Well, I train some of his fighters. I trained some of his fighters from the promotion. My son works for Oscar. Uh, my son, when he finished uh, uh, his college, Las Vegas, he came down and started working for Golden Boy. Now he's uh, he's doing really well. He's been working for Golden Boy for three years already. Oh wow! And he's been working for Golden Boy. He's a he's a he's a big element in in the, in the promotion. And Oscar as well. You know, he's uh, every time there's there's uh, special moments. You know, I'm always invited. Uh, through my son, through some of the members of the staff, they are really good friends. I mean, I have a really good relationship with both of promotions and and Oscar himself. That's, what do you do? You think um, just because of everything that he's been through, like not not like him as as an athlete, as a boxer, he he did all those accolades, right? Mm -hmm. But outside, like his personal life, you know, things of here and there, whatever. Like, do you think that would like tarnish his legacy? No, I don't think so. You know no. why? Because he already he already left a, a mark yeah. in the sport. He already set a, a a a mark, a big example in the sport of boxing. And I just think that people should uh, should respect the person as a person itself, because 
I mean, athletes have a personal life, you right. know, and they, they need to be respected, you know. I mean, you, I don't think there's anybody, there's any perfect person in the world because I've seen, I've seen it all. I mean, just because you're an athlete, you're an icon on the sport of boxing. Outside of that, you have, you have a life. Yeah. You know? Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, and I nobody. just think that people should respect that because, I mean, you got to live a life, you know. Yeah. Sometimes the people, the people that judge others are the worst. Yeah, and I think I think they should they should just you know ignore it or you know don't comment about it because every person in the world has a personal life and right. they can do whatever they want they deserve it I think that Oscar and every other athlete top athlete in the world they have sacrificed a lot they dedicated hours and hours and hours to the sport they have uh, suffered they believe me they cried they 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 celebrated. They bled, they sweat, and all of a sudden, when when they step out of the sport and they're living their life, I mean, then you criticize about it. I don't think that's fair. No, yeah, that's true. You know, um, I I was heartbroken when he beat Julio Chavez when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I was like, and you were mad when I, you you were mad when he beat uh, Fernando Vargas. I was too. <laughs> but um, you know, I've I watched him growing up. I, I watched him, yeah. you know, growing up. He. Uh, I was I was mad at him when he beat Julio Chavez because he was my idol, you know. But then, uh, you know, I think he has a great career in, in, in the sport. Oh, he's done a lot for the sport, though. You know, uh, he's done a lot for the sport. He was, I think, to me, Oscar was the fighter that made the most in the HBO industry, and he set a big mark. Obviously, boxing outside of sport is a business, you know. Yeah. Oscar beating Chavez, it was the right time. Chavez already was. You know, on his way out, on his way out. Yeah. he was diminishing, and it's like everything. There's, there's always, there's always a beginning, and there's always an end. You know? yeah. I've seen it with a lot of fighters. I mean, I'm the same way with you. Like you said, that you cried when, when that happened. I went through the same thing because when I was, when I started boxing back in uh, mid 1980s, I personally met Marvelous Marvin Hanger. Oh. He came to the gym, and. Uh, they did a mural of him, and then we took pictures together. And to me, he was like the greatest. So I became one of the biggest fans of Marvin's Marvin Hanger. Grew up watching his fights. Grew up just following every move he made. And to me, there was no better fighter in the whole world. Less, you know, that was my belief. Like you believe Julio Chavez was the best. Right now, people think uh, Ryan Garcia is the best. There's people that think Canelo's the best. I mean, and it's respected. But in your own personal opinion, uh, you always have. You always have a big, a big icon in your mind. You know, to me, there was no fighter out there as a person, as an athlete, as a fighter like Marvin Marvin Hagler. And when he lost to Sugar Leonard, I mean, I'm telling you, I still even, I mean, I probably watched the fight over a hundred times, oh, wow. and I watch it, and I watch it, and I try to watch it, and I said he did not lose, he did not lose, he did not lose, he won the fight. I mean, I will go and watch the fight with no volume, and he won the fight. And you watch the fight with volume, and you see the commentators, and Sugar Red Lantern catches them with a straight, and there's no straight right. And, and Sugar Red Lantern this, and there's no this. And Sugar Red Lantern lands a left hook, and then like, there's no left hook. You know, but commentators are there to to give you what you want to hear. Right. You know, and, and going back to the, the, the fight with Manny Pacquiao and Tim Bradley. I was just gonna mention the same, that. The same thing? Same, yeah. Honestly, going back to that same fight, I mean, we won that fight, 
and we won the fight and people really created a big controversy and like oh this shouldn't happen this and that i mean we changed our lives even what we did because we, we got we got threats from, from i heard people. that you yeah. guys got death threats yeah we got death threats really? letters i and, heard yeah. rumors about i changed that. my i changed my route every day because people i hate it when when people would look at me and tell me Hey, did you guys really think you guys won? Like, don't ask me that shit. You know? and, and, and it bothers me. And it bothers me because when I went to when I went to the fight in Texas, when uh, Canelo fought Austin Trout, I ran into the judge. They favored Bradley in the, in the fight, and he approached me, and he tells me, "Is Mr. Diaz? You might not know who I am, but I'm his, I'm, I don't remember his name." And then he goes, "I judged Bradley Pacquiao." He says, "I quit boxing after that fight because." I got this, I got that, and similar really? to you. Wow. And he says, but I'm gonna tell you something, keep your head up. He told me, he looks at me like this, and he goes, keep your head up, you guys want to fight. He goes, regardless of what people say, you guys want to fight, well, we want to fight. And then he says, I'm telling you something, I don't know why they think Pacquiao won the fight when he was only fighting 30 seconds of every round. Brandy was a busier one through the whole fight. And then I've had, I've had, people, I've had people do videos of the fight with no sound breakdowns yeah I've, yeah I've seen that and too. then there's people that were doing videos of of the commentator saying and manny pacquiao lands a straight left and there's no left oh, you know yeah. you know what i mean yeah. so is they give you they, they give you what they want you to hear yeah. you know so that that's the thing boxing it is it, it's it's a business it's a sport but at the same time we gotta understand that you know we gotta understand that that there's a beginning there's an end there's fighters that are coming up Sooner or later, they're gonna like. For example, Manny Pacquiao is an icon right now. Yeah. And if, for example, Ryan Garcia is the next superstar of boxing, is a time where Manny Pacquiao is already over forty years old. Yeah. I mean, any fighter, any young fighter can catch up to him and beat him. Yeah. Let's say they feed Manny Pacquiao to Ryan Garcia, people are gonna say, "Oh, Ryan beats him." Oh, they're gonna be like you and I. <laughs> you know, when when De La Hoya beat Chavez yeah. and when Marvin Hagler right. fought Sugar Leonard. But they don't understand that. There's people that don't know the the business of the sport. Right. But if that would happen, Ryan beats Manny Pacquiao, people will cry. Like, how can this young kid beat? How can this young oh, kid? The, the whole Philippines know? will cry. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. but but it, they don't understand that it's a long career. I mean, you're talking about a Manny Pacquiao with a legacy, with with a long career. Uh, but his his body's are retired. Oh, yeah. I've seen it with Miguel Cotto when Miguel Cotto was winning and and winning fights, and all of a sudden. Boom, he beat Sergio Martinez, which was for me like, wow, I don't know. Remember the threats? Yeah. I'm like, how in the hell? Yeah, but you know but what? Sergio that, Martinez. That night, that night, age, age kicked Martinez. in on Sergio. Yeah. And then it came back when Saddam Ali beat Miguel Cotto. I would never, people lost money, casinos lost millions of dollars because they never expected Saddam Ali to beat uh, Miguel Cotto. But when Trout beat Cotto too, I was I, like, I, stuff like that, you know? So it's just, but it's the good, the good part of the sport. And it's a never-ending story that yeah. we're always going to be talking. And that's the good part about it. The yeah. good part of the sport is this, that we're going to have good decisions, bad decisions, and at the same time, controvers controversies, and we're going to talk about them. We keep oh, talking yeah. about the sport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and at the time with Bradley, no one was used to seeing Manny Pacquiao lose. Right. So for somebody to come in and yeah. beat him, people were like, eh, no, it's impossible. Right. It's impossible. Because he was the first one to beat him. Though. It, it, was, yeah. it was in yeah. disbelief in everybody because nobody thought that that was possible. It was just a fight that they threw in. Uh, they threw Bradley. And Bradley was always an underdog. Bradley was an underdog yeah, against Junior Witter, not, not against Evan Alexander, underdog. against... 
All these guys that he's fought. Kendall Holt. Kendall Holt. Uh, not only an underdog, Bradley's a dog. Yeah, Bradley, Bradley was a dog. Bradley was a, 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 a nonstop working machine. And the reason why Bradley was always uh, coming through with his fights because he always worked extremely hard. I've never seen anybody work as hard as him. Never. I have never seen an athlete that can work as hard as Bradley. And even if he, if he trained three, three, uh, three sessions a day, he still had doubts at the end of the day that he didn't train wow. hard enough. Oh, wow. How's your relationship with him right now? Good. Yeah, you guys yeah. are still... Yeah, we run into each other a couple times. That's great. We've had some good, some good little talks, and he's good. He I does mean, a great job with the commentating. Tim Bradley is a great person. He has a great heart, very humble guy, uh, very professional. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy that he's, he's doing well. I'm happy that, you know, he did the right thing in his career. And uh, most of all, that, you know, now that he's retired, he don't have to go back. He don't have to go back to where he started. A lot of fighters, they make that mistake. They generate, they generate so much, and at the end of their careers, they end up where they started, and that's yeah. not, you know, yeah. that's not what everybody wants at the end of your career. Okay, so now moving forward to now, right? Um, how did you get in the mix with, you know, uh, how did you end up going to Uzbekistan and being, because when I was, when I was, remember when we were talking when you were when you were over there? Mm -hmm. Can you tell everybody how they received you? When when you touch down in Uzbekistan, Uzbekistan. Well, look, the the thing with uh, going back, rewinding the tape a little bit on the Uzbekistan trip, it all started. It all started after the the Bradley Provodnikov fight. When Bradley fought Provodnikov, we just watched that the other day. By the it, way, it, yeah. it was amazing. Provodnikov was was actually offered previously previous that fight for my brother Julio. In Pachanga, and they said, "Hey, there's there's a fight for Julio to fight this guy from Russia. His name is Ruslan Provodnikov." And I started looking into this guy. Oh, man, that guy's an animal. That guy's a beast, you know. And then Julio goes, "Hell no!" I said, "No way." He had just fought Mauricio Arreta, right? I go, "No, we turned it down." So when we got to fight with Ruslan Provodnikov, uh, with Bradley going back to Bradley, uh, Bradley had just fought Manny Pacquiao in June. And I remember Bradley was always an underdog. Bradley was always by their by his promotion. They always wanted him to lose. Yeah. They were always throwing him against Kendall Hall, Devin Alexander. Bradley never had an event where he was like the, the A side, the A side in one of his events. And I'm telling you right now, Bradley. Even with Marquez. He, he even was, with Marquez. Marquez was, was the favorite. People thought because Marquez. Because he had just knocked out. Yeah, Marquez, yeah, and I told everybody, mm. told every single single person with a camera or whatever. I said, "You guys think we're gonna lose, but okay, no problem." No, he even did his little yeah. walk at the end. Of I last, said, "Okay, the last let's two do it. seconds." So, <laughs> so, a dog, so what man. we did was, uh, their uh, Bradley's promotion at the time, they've always threw him out there. They never did an event where he was the A side. He was always the B side, and he kept winning. So when when he fought when he fought Pacquiao in June, and he broke his ankle and fought with a broken ankle, uh, he was in a wheelchair. He was in, uh, he was on crutches. And Bradley's very active. So throughout that time, June, July, August, September, wheelchair, crutches, going into December, they started. He started already walking a little bit on his foot, coming to the gym, but he gained a lot of weight. And it was his only fight, his only fight of his career that he had problems with weight because he's so disciplined. So then, uh, all of a sudden, I remember coming to the gym and say, hey, "Coach, they're already getting, getting a, they're giving us opponents for the next fight in February." So they give us a list, 
And knowing the way the process goes and the way that he's always been like, you know, they want to get rid of him. They give us Mike Alvarado, uh, Brandon Rios. Uh, they give us like, like five, five names. And I got the list and I said, look, I'll take Brandon Rios first, Alvarado second, this guy. And I left Ruslan Provodnikov at the bottom. I go, this guy, we want to avoid this guy. I said, we don't want this guy. Okay. Okay, sure. We're going to send the list back to him. No problem. I go home that night. I'm thinking about what happened, right? But then I go, I think I messed up. I think I messed up because I put Provodnikov at the end. That's what they're gonna give us. I'm telling you right there. You felt it. I felt it. The next wow. day, the next day, the next day, I come back to the gym, and then they tell me, "Hey, well, Alvarado's not available. Uh, Ronnie Rios got injured, and this guy can't fight. And and it, but there's Provodnikov. I felt it. Hey. I go, wow, hey, really? I thought in, about it, right? And I said, and I said, really? Okay, well, let's do it. I told Brian, let's get ready. But since we were getting attacked by people, media, and everything based on the on the on the Pacquiao fight, on the previous fight, Bradley was hurt. Bradley was hurt because I mean coming back from Vegas after a victory, we had a bus. They provided us with a bus with big old uh, rap of Bradley and stuff. So Going to Vegas for the fight, everybody was happy, family, everybody was singing, talking. On the way back, it was like a funeral. Honestly, it was like a funeral coming back. He had a broken ankle. He was at home. I would go visit him. He would cry. And he would tell me, Coach, I lost the love for the sport I did for so many years. I go, people, the way people are attacking me right now, the way people are threatening me. I mean, I've had some threats too. I went to I went to Santa Monica with my family one time. And I'm walking with a stroller and some, of, some Filipinos are like approaching me like, Really? Yeah. And they're just telling me all kinds of stuff like, you guys are this, you guys are that. And I, you know, relax, <laughs> oh my you know, gosh. All we did was fight. We just got, oh, we got ready. We trained to go fight. What happens after that is not our fault. Yeah. It's not like I go to the judge and say, I'm going to give you $10 or $100. To, it's not like that, bro. No. We just do it. Yeah. But people are, are mad because he's an icon. So we came back. He was hurt, emotionally hurt. And uh, he really felt bad. So by the time we got ready for February, he was overweight. And he tried, he tried, and we have, we have to fight Provodnikov. And even like two, three weeks before the fight, uh, he called me to his house. He goes, Coach, I don't think I'm going to make the weight. Really? I go, don't worry, I'll bring somebody to help us. So I brought another, a guy, that, a, a nutritionist, and we started helping him. As a matter of fact, the day of the weigh-ins, the, the only time in his whole career, the day of the weigh-ins, at the hotel where we were staying, it, there was a tub, a square tub, filled it up with hot water, Epsom salt. He dropped four pounds the day of the oh, weight in the morning. Gosh. And he made the weight. That walking into the fight that night, besides him being mentally frustrated from all the attacks of the public and the fans, he had a plan of his own. And it had nothing to do with mine. <laughs> he wanted to go in pain. No, no, I'm telling you. And you know why? It's because when I look at a fighter, and I and I look at him and I generate the energy and tell you, hey, you better listen to me. Yeah. Hey, and follow my and follow my orders. If I tell you to move, you move. And when you look at me, I can tell in your eyes that you're gonna do it. But I can tell when you when, when you're gonna ignore the shit out of me. <laughs> and when I told him that we're 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 about to walk in the ring and we stop before HBO says let's go, and I said, hey Tim, remember, be smart. Don't get stupid in me. How many times did you say that in the fight? Remember? I said, it? I said, don't get stupid. You listen to me, okay? You box this guy. This guy cannot fight. When he's standing, I mean, he can't fight while you're moving. If you, if you stand in front of him, he, he's dangerous. And he goes like this, he goes, okay. And when he said that, I go, oh shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm 
honestly. So we walk in the ring and he didn't do what I told him. Yeah. And that's what happened after. He, he wanted to prove to the people something different. But he literally gave years of his life in that fight because when that bell rang, he went at it. He didn't. He wasn't going to box. To be Ruslan Provodnikov, you hit him and move, hit him and move, hit him and move, and you're good. But if you stand with him, he'll catch you. Oh, yeah. So going back to your question, that night, uh, after the fight, we go shake hands, and I told Ruslan Provodnikov's manager, who is the, the manager here now, Vadim, and I told him, hey, Vadim, hey, it was a great fight, man. Thank you. It's just, hey, pleasure. And he says, great fight, man. And I said, you know what, man? Tell your boy that I'm a big fan of him. Tell him that I'm a big fan. Uh, I've followed him for a long time. Much respect. He took pictures of my son. Ruslan Provodnikov took pictures of my son with my wife. Wow. And me. I said, hey, champ, thank you so much. I'm a big fan. I love your style of fighting. That happened. So every time we would run into each other, hey, how's the champ? Good. How's Ruslan? Good. And I would run into Vadim a lot. It got to the point. <clears throat> I was in Havasu for a weekend. As I'm driving back, I get a call from Vadim. And Vadim called me and says, hey, Joel, how are you? Good. He's Vadim. Hey, Vadim, how are you? How you doing? Hi, how's Ruslan? He's doing good. He says, as a matter of fact, I'm calling you for this reason. Would you be interested in training Ruslan? Wow. I said, sure. Why not? He says, oh, because right now there's talks about him fighting Manny Pacquiao. And uh, they're training out of the same tr uh, the same gym at yeah. the wild card. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, but, you know, if they're going to fight, the fight's going to happen. They can't be training with the same trainer. Right. I said, sure. And then he tells me, I remember that process. At that time, I had the Magdaleno brothers and I had some other fighters in camp. So he told me, would you be willing to train him in L.A.? I said, no. Would you train him in Big Bear? I said, no. Why? I go, because I have a camp in India and I never, I never leave my camp. He says, how about if I, how about, it? he says, because he has his masseuse, he has his nutritionist over here in LA. And I said, I'm sorry, man. If you can bring him down to India, I will train him. He goes, okay, let me talk to him. So he called me back. He says, would you be willing to come to Big Bear if I get a house for all you fighters? Oh you, bring, you bring all you fighters and you train. I said, no, because then one of my fighters can tell me, hey, we're here. We're here not because of me. We're here because of somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I don't want these guys because there's a lot of jealousy in this sport. Yeah. Um, I bring one of the guys and then something happens. And, hey, well, we're in L.A. because of Ruslan. We're not there because of me or because of this guy. And I told him, he goes, you're right. Let me talk to him. Then he comes back and he goes, okay, we're going to go to India. So they came to India. The first day, Ruslan was like, never been here. You know, he's like, Second day, he started talking. Third day, he was like, happiest guy in the world. He says, I love it. Over there in L.A., I live five miles from the gym. It would take me an hour, hour and a half. Now it takes me five minutes from the house to the gym. So he loved it here. We trained here for three fights. He, India, India was his home. He loved it. Even in summertime when it was 120 degrees, Gosh, he loved it when he's from Siberia with the snow. Yeah. So then after he retired, when he lost to John Molina, I prepared a good fight for him, a good a fight of attack for him. He should have knocked out John Molina. But after the fight, we walk into the dressing room and he stops and he tells everybody to shut up. And he looks at me and says, Coach, I love you. And he's, he's translating. Somebody's trying. He goes, I want to tell him something. He says, Coach, I love you. You did a great work. You are a great trainer. He says, I wish I would have met you early in my career. 
He says, but today, I, he says, I wanted to protect myself. He goes, I was, I was careful because every fight, I'm tired that every fight, I take so much beating on my body, my face and everything. So for this fight, I was more cautious. You know, I didn't want to be so badly hurt. Mm -hmm. He says, but I'm sorry, I let you down. But I wish I would have met you early in my career. You are one of the greatest fighters and trainers. Oh, wow. And that was the last. So from that point on, he retired. And then time after, Vadim and I stay in touch. So when Vadim decided to create a team, he went to Uzbekistan, Russia, Kazakhstan, Dakistan, and picked some of the best fighters. And one day he told me, hey, Joel, I'm here, and I got some great fighters, all Olympians, a silver medalist, a gold medalist, uh, number one Asian Games. He says, you ready to work? Sure. I go to LA, it was on the Matisse. Matisse fight when he fought uh, the, the guy from uh, Philippines, it wasn't I remember, and, and it was in LA. Yeah, it was in LA. So I met the guys and I, I, I met with two of them. He says, I took them to Miami to a trainer and they didn't like it. I took them to New York and they didn't like it. He goes, can you try it, submit with them? Yeah. It was Batir and Shakram. I did miss with them. So I went and then they're like, hey, they like you. They say that you're really good. I go, hey, well, you know, I'm an Indian. So all of a sudden, they started renting a motel at the Boys and Girls Club. Walking distance, there's a motel. Very ugly motel. <laughs> so they started renting that motel for the guys. Everybody had a room. They would walk to the gym. All of a sudden, they brought Raja Butayev. And then they brought Agmad Aliyev. And then they brought Shakra. Everybody staying in hotels. They're staying in hotels. So everybody started liking it. Started liking Indio. Started liking the training. All of a sudden, they started renting places. Indian Palms. Mm. Started renting houses where they were playing $6,000 a month. Oh, my God. Yeah. $6,000 a month for them. And then they started renting apartments and then leasing here for there. They were paying $6,000 a month for six months. And then all of a sudden, everybody loves it. Hey, coach, we love you, man. Hey, we're here. We're your, we're your fighters. And they're so loyal. They're so straight up. They bought a beautiful house. The main, da the main, the main guy came and looked around for houses. They bought a beautiful home next to Fantasy Springs. They fixed it up with bedrooms, everything. Now, that's their home. Indios are home. And that's how I became part of their uh, of their their team when we go to Uzbekistan it was the first card in Uzbekistan when we arrive over there people in, Uzbek in Uzbekistan are so um, how can I say it they greet you so well right especially when you take care of their fighters because all these guys are icons over there mm. they're in the military they're ranked in the high oh wow in the military back every single fighter they go through military. Beck, in his country, he's like a Navy SEAL. Really? What? Yeah. He's ranked like a Navy SEAL, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. They go through military. Beck, Beck. It's is like mandatory, like, right? Yeah, mandatory. Wow. He is, wow. He, is, he, is, he, him in Uzbekistan is like a Navy SEAL in the U.S. No way. Yeah. And he's one of the best fighters. The president, actually, when the pandemic started, he was supposed to fight. The president of Uzbekistan, in his private jet, flew him to New York for him to come here because there was no access to the U.S. Oh, wow. He's friends with the president. When we were in Uzbekistan, we get there, they picked us up at the, they, they're waiting for us under the plane. We don't take the shuttle to the airport. They take us to the VIP, take care of everything. And we're like, hey, we're, we're not used to it. Where's the luggage? Oh, don't worry about your luggage. It's fine. Don't worry. But our luggage, no, no, don't worry about it. You go to the hotel, later on, the luggage is in our rooms. <laughs> 
They breathe us. Awesome. They got flowers, ceremony, and they're like, since you're the leader, you in the front. Okay, flowers, everything. Like, okay. What? As a matter of fact, the, the whole week that we were in Uzbekistan, there was people in the in the in the lobby that I noticed that they were there every day. We get off the elevator and they're there. And as soon as we get, they get up. We go walk, and as we're walking, people want to get close to us, but they don't because there's people just taking care of us everywhere. Like. Like there's a guy over there, there's a guy over there, but we didn't, we didn't notice that. Mm. Everywhere we go, people are taking care of us. There's people, very important people, that wanted us to go to their home to eat so that they could say that we were at their homes. What? The president of Uzbekistan, after the fight, he called me to a back room, a very private room, just to thank me wow. for what I'm doing for the, for the fighters. The son of the president at a restaurant after the fight brought us to to his restaurant and hosted us there. I mean, it was just a beautiful experience. That's like, that's like president presidential treatment. Yeah, no, I mean, we got the presidential treatment because over there in Uzbekistan, they love us because we take care of their fighters. Uh, every single one of their fighters that have been with us, they started here as a professional. We debuted every single one of them. Right now, there's some that are 11-0, 10-0, 7-0. There's uh, Agmataliyev, he's 8-0, and, and he's a champion, IBF. And WBA, uh, I mean, Israel Madrimov, he's ranked number one in the super welterweight division. He's fighting for a world title next. So we are loved in Uzbekistan because we take care of the fighters. That's awesome. That's amazing. And, that is awesome. Know, That's super amazing. That's what I, I, I wanted people to know, mm. you know, because I remember you were talking about it on your mm. live. So I, I wanted I wanted the, the people to know, mm. you know what I mean, that it's, it's you're very much appreciated. Yeah. yeah. We, we do so we do so much for these fighters. They become part of our family. It's not. Uh, I open my doors to these fighters, and I, I treat them well because they have much respect. These guys are soldiers. These guys are soldiers. They're very loyal. At one point, the manager told me, "What I'm telling you, these guys right here, they're very loyal. They're very loyal. But the first day you do something bad for, to them, they will never forgive you." Mm. You know, they're like loyal to the max. Yeah. But the, the, the first time you ever betray them, they will never forgive you for the rest of their life. And, you know, I have a really good relationship with every single one of them. They go back home and they're in touch with me. I mean, their language is a little hard, but we understand each other. Uh, the time they've been here, I've learned a little. I, I've learned to, to communicate with them enough in the sport. Like, I can guide a fighter, tell them what to do in the ring, yeah. in their language, but that's it. But I cannot have a, a fluent conversation with them right. because it's, it's hard to learn the language in just a, a, a short period of time. Right, right. But just listening to them when they're sparring and when they're working, I can guide them in the fight and they, they understand me. Good. I mean, it's like uh, the more time we spend together, I get to know them yeah. and they get to know me. You don't plan on teaching them how to speak Spanish? Yes, and that's the point. Uh, it's, <laughs> yes. uh, of course. Uh, and the reason why is every fighter, you know, the, the, the Latino community, the Latino community is the, the biggest community in boxing. Yep. Yeah. So if you yeah. learn, believe me, right now, if you're not a Canelo Alvarez, if you're not a Julio Chavez, you're not a Fernando Vargas, you're not Oscar De La Hoya, I mean, you're just another fighter. Yeah. Ryan Garcia. Right. Ryan Garcia is starting to learn Spanish because he needs to. Yeah. He's more marketable. Right. Imagine an, Uz an Uzbek fighter like Beck. Imagine Beck. Beck is an Uzbekistan fighter. 
speaking Spanish? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, we gravitate to that style because it's exactly. a very exciting style. There's a market in the sport. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're more marketable. When you're more, when you're marketable, marketable in the business, believe me, you're going to be a superstar. Well, there's, there's a, that's um, the that's business end. Business and to boxing. Yeah, that's why Canelo is learning English. Cotto, yeah. Miguel Cotto, I was there in the press conference with Miguel Cotto when he didn't know English at all. Right. And he started learning English. Right. Because right. when you got the English-speaking people and the Spanish-speaking people together, and you can do interviews with, with, uh, with the Latino community and the uh, uh, English-speaking community, I mean, dude, you're, you're more marketable. Well, they had that, the, the Japanese fighter, right, that speaks fluent Spanish. Yeah. That was his, like, his, um, I don't know if he grew up in Mexico. Yeah. He's from Tijuana, right? Yeah. I think so. Kameda? Uh, 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 yeah. Kameda and his brother, Bro. they speak, yeah. Because they, they've been sparring partners for, for a lot of fighters in Mexico. Mexico City, they go out there, they were with Marrera, with Barrera. A lot of Japanese fighters, they go to Mexico City. And uh, a lot of Mexican fighters go to uh, to Japan. Uh, Japan. Jorge Linares speaks uh, Japanese. Does he oh, really? Yeah. Jorge Linares speaks a few languages: wow. English, wow. Japanese, and and like three different languages. Wow, that's yeah. that's tight. Interesting. All right, Interesting. Coach. Uh, we like to do um, a little verses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 12, 12 rounds of verses. So um, I'm gonna give you two options. Right. You pick which one. Fine. All right, round one. <laughs> Antonio Aguilar versus Vicente Fernandez. Vicente Fernandez. Joan Sebastián or Juan Gabriel. Ooh, that's a tough one right there. Oh, man. I would say Juan Gabriel. Yeah, good choice. Clase Azul or Don Julio 1942? Ooh. Don Julio 1942. Wings or tacos? Tacos. Tacos, baby. Pizza, burgers. Burgers. Corn tortillas or flour tortillas? Flour. Now I know, and I know this is going to be easy for you, Those but it might not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yesterday I had, I go to the taco shop yesterday and I ate the or the maiz because the flour, the flour tortillas are handmade. Yeah. And they're really good on the tacos. All right. And I know you're, you're, you're a big, big, big horse fan, right? Mm-hmm. You love horses. So you go horseback riding or to the gym? The gym. The gym? Yeah. Man, I thought you were going to take the horse back. Coach, yeah, but the thing is, the thing is this. When I go ride my horse, it's to get away from everything and just be... To reset. To meditate. And yeah. re- I mean, the times that I have time in the morning and I go to the ranch and I get on my horse and I go, and I go by myself, I think... Decompress. I, I program my day. I release so much, so much stress. I feel like... I feel like I'm a, I reset myself. So as soon as I leave the horse in the ranch, I go home and I feel like, wow, it's a good feeling. But the gym, it's a different energy. The gym to me is a different energy. The day I'm not at the gym, and I can tell you this, there's been times where I say, I'm not going to go to the gym. And when I don't come to the gym, my mind is going 100 miles an hour that I get sick. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a coach right there. That's you know? that's it. That's when... That's when- no. You're you're where you're supposed to be. Yeah, no. that's where you're supposed to be. So here we go: Netflix and chill or party night? Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Uh, city life, ranch life. Ranch life. You want you want to see the sunset or the sunrise? Sun sunrise. Sunrise. For me, sunrise. I like the mornings when you got that that attitude in the morning and start fresh and take a deep breath and say, Hey, I got this because. 
¿Con cafecito ah. o sin cafecito? Con cafecito. <risa> hey. Con cafecito en la mañana. Like. Cafecito de olla, ¿verdad? Right? Yeah. 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 Cafecito. Yeah. 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 This Make day, take a deep fine. breath. There you uh, go. Yeah. Every day is a fight, you know, because every obstacle, every every obstacle you go through 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 the day, it's a fight. Yeah. So you know that as soon as you start, you see the sunrise, you have a fight. Since you get up, since you get out of your bed, till you get back in your bed, it's a fight because even when you're driving, you run into people there, you know, here and there in the cars, and you come to the gym and you got a little mm, misunderstanding with somebody. There's always a fight. So yeah. to me, the end of the day. It's just a blessing because you're there, but to me, just waking up and motivating yourself, activating yourself to start the day is, to me, is primary. Last round, coach. Canelo, Mayweather. Canelo or Mayweather? At this point? Yeah. At this point, I think Canelo, Canelo would beat uh, Mayweather now at this point. The first time, it was too soon. Mayweather was in his still in his prime and he's very slick but I think that Canelo has improved so much he learned a lot and he's got what it takes to beat Mayweather now. what do you that was oh that summed up, that summed up the, the 12 rounds but what do you think of like how do you feel about Canelo is he really because I, I see this a lot not a lot of Mexicans like him but why do you think that is why because because us Mexicans are very jealous you think that's what it is? <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> He's keeping it real. I'm, t I'm telling you, in, in the in He's the Mexican right. community, yeah. if you see somebody succeed, you're like you don't like ah, it. It's a way. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it's that type. Like, like yeah. you know, you, you're right. not you're not happy. You're not happy for the guy in front of you that's doing good. Right. Right. I'm telling you, as I was growing up, as I was growing up, like and, and, and I was never like Canelo. Never. Here in town. Here in town, the only thing I could afford when I was boxing. I never made over $20,000 in a fight, never. Not even for my world title fight. But with, with a little bit that I had, I bought myself a, a 1992 Mustang convertible 5.0. And I love my car. And I would drive it in town with the top down. And even my family members, ah, that guy's selling drugs. Selling drugs. <laughs> <laughs> how, how come people don't say, hey, I'm happy for the guy. He's doing good. Eh? Yeah. They don't do that. Uh, and that's the way it's always been said. The Mex the Latino population, instead of being happy for you to be successful, yeah, like, they bring it down. Yeah, they bring it down. You know, they. I mean, it's and it's not it's not right, man. That's the reason why. Why you think so many so many people from Saudi Arabia, los Árabes, los gente de uh, Pakistan, son tan unidos. They unite themselves. Yeah. That's why they got gas station stores yeah. because they they help, they help each, each other, other to succeed. It's like Asians, Look, us, true, our Mexicans, instead of helping us, like they, they want to put you down. They want to see you on the floor instead of yeah, up here. Like crabs in the bucket. Yeah, and exactly. you know, and, and it depends who it is. It depends. If you're a person that went through hard times in your life, and you know how hard it is to be where you're at, you appreciate somebody that's doing it. Yeah. I get so happy when I see somebody. Uh, the guy, actually, the guy that just opened his taco shop uh, recently, where I got the tacos yesterday. That guy went through some tough times in his life, and he changed his life. He opened a taco shop. Now he's got a gas station and he's doing well. And I'm, I told him, hey, I'm really happy for you. Hey, estoy orgulloso de ti porque estás echándole ganas, man. Because I know how hard it was for you to be where you're at right now. Yeah. And it's only getting better. But there's other people like, te está agarrando la feria ese güey, güey. You don't do that. You don't do that. Yeah. You got to be happy for, for all the people. I'm happy for you guys that you guys are doing this. Yeah. You know? And I wish you guys that 
maybe the, the following year or the next year, you guys are at another level. I yeah. mean, right now you guys are at, at a good level, but I want to see you guys be at a fucking higher level because that's what I want from, from my part. I want to yeah. see you guys succeed. I want to see you guys keep fucking fighting every day to keep moving on. You know, we all got goals. Yeah. I mean, I'm the type of person that every goal I got, if I have a goal in mind, believe me, I fight for it. Last night, I, I woke up yesterday at 5.30 in the morning. I go to the building at 6.30 and I'm there till 8. I only ate one time yesterday. Oh. The tacos was my only lunch all day. Yeah. I woke up this morning, I go, you fish in my truck in the front, it's full of trash. This morning I went and loaded up all the trash with a shovel, I was full of dirt this morning. But my next goal is to open my gym. Hopefully and and I'm gonna make sure that that gym is one of the best gyms, not only in California, in the world. Nice. Because, nice. because to me, I've been fighting this since last June. And every fight, it's like, it's like the most beautiful thing in life is when you walk into your home and you look around and you say, nobody gave me shit. I work for this. You know? yeah, for and sure. that's how it is, man. We all got opportunities. We all got opportunities in life. We all do. If you got, if you got health, you got opportunities. Yeah. Take advantage of it. You know, yeah. Because if you expect for somebody to give you something, they're not. It ain't, it you gotta ain't work for it. You gotta work for it. Yeah. You know, and, and and you value things more when you work hard for what you got. Because you're like, fuck, I work for this shit. Yeah, yeah. it's mine. You know, it's mine. I work. Nobody gave it to me. Yeah, I work mine. for it. You appreciate it more. Oh, when people sure. give you things like, I gave it to me. Okay, well, here go ahead. You don't. You don't value. You don't take that sentimental value about it. You know. So, I've always said, if you really want it, go get it. And don't stop because along the road, from here to there, you're gonna run into some obstacles. People. It's either it's either there's there's a fucking big boulder in front of you. Either you're gonna jump that boulder, or you're gonna move it out of the way, or you're gonna fucking go back to where you were. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah you gotta get. Depends on your, depends on on how how mentally strong you are. Yeah. You gotta be mentally strong, man. There's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing that can stop you if you really want it. There's nothing. There's a lot of ways. I figure things in my life. There's there's nothing that can stop me if I really want it. Now, real quick, going back to the horses, how did you find your love for horses? You always have love Look, for horses? Because you're, dude, coach, I swear to you, it was like about a week ago or two weeks ago. He has this senor, bro. He's a horse whisperer. A horse whisperer? Oh, mm -hmm. my God, dude, you should have seen this shit. He can tell the horse what to do, bro. He laid him down, he sat him down, what? and he laid him down. It was the most amazing shit I've ever seen in my life. I'm not even gonna lie. Like, I wish I was there to witness it like live and full of fact. So he was controlling the horse. Oh, dude, beautiful. How? Like what? How? Oh, he just petting him. You know, moving this little um, the the leash. Yeah, he grabbed him. Lo sentó. He what? sat him down. Then he laid him out. And then he just started rubbing his stomach. Oh, dude, it was fucking beautiful. Majestic. It was. Dude, I've never seen something so like smooth. I'm trying to imagine it right now. Bro, it was. Amazing. I've never seen anybody <laughs> control a horse. Bro, he made him lay down like a dog, bro. Really? He sat down like a dog, like straight posture, chest looking beautiful, and he's up, get up, boom, said, fucking horse got up. What? Bro. Yeah, dude, beautiful. When I ride, when I ride that horse, I get I get on the horse, and if I'm tired. I get off and I start walking and he's right there behind me, like right here. Like his face is right here. And if I stop, he'll push me. Like if I keep walking, he's right behind me. But if I stop and he'll go like this, he'll push me. Like, hey, let's go keep walking. And then I get off of him. I go take a leak. And then 
Stay right here. He'll stay, and I'll go and I'll come back. And then as soon as I walk, he'll follow. He'll follow me. Really? That horse. The passion for horses comes because when I was a kid in Mexico, I grew up with my grandparents in un rancho. And over there it was just... In Michoacán, right? In Michoacán. Just, it was a ranch life. Just growing corn, beans, and whatever. Just taking care of horses. I used to ride horses. I started riding horses like probably like, like, like three or four years old. Yeah. So I remember my dad, my grandpa used to send me to, to this molino when he would get all the... When he would get all the, the, the maíz. And he would send me to another place. Four years old, he would throw me on a horse, and I would go. You know, four or five in the morning, come back. But I would ride horses with no no rein, no no rope. Just get on them as a kid. Con el puro pelo. Con el puro pelo más. And <laughs> that's how. When I came to the United States, I've always i always wanted the horses because I would I would be around horses as a kid. I would cry with my horses when I would get beat up by my grandpa. And my grandpa would fucking put a beating on me, and uh, and then I would go cry with the horse. And a horse with my friend. So when I came to the U.S. and I started doing okay, and I bought an old horse, very old horse, and then I said, okay, I'm gonna get another one. And I started. So all of a sudden, I got this guy, this horse that I got, Diamante. Mm -hmm. This has been like my only horse that, when I bought it, had a fractured hand, and they told me, hey, that horse is no good. You get rid of him. Well, it's gonna be good. So I took care of him. Never had a problem. And send him to school to teach him how to do all that stuff that he does. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's a horse that I can put my daughters, my wife, anybody that doesn't know how to ride, I can put him on him, and he'll be like, he'll like walking. But as soon as I, as soon as I get on him, he knows me. Oh, he'll yeah. be like, oh, he'll be like dancing, moving. He, I like an energetic what horse. The so he, does, does, does he dance con banda? Yeah. That's no, that's that's crazy. I love, I, I love yeah. it. I yeah, have, this I, horse, crazy. this horse is taught to dance, to sit, to lay. I mean. Everything. Dude, man. this horse is beautiful, bro. I gotta check it out. It, I gotta check like, it out. I'm telling you. I w remember we were, I, w I was talking to you that yeah. day. Dude, I'm telling you, bro. It's the most amazing shit I've ever seen. I, I, I went to, uh, I took uh, Bernardo Suna from ESPN riding with him uh -huh. one time. He couldn't believe it. Yeah. He couldn't believe it. He was like, are you serious? That? You know? You know how many times I had to rewatch that shit, dude? Because <laughs> I thought it was so dope. Like, yeah. I've never seen it like that, dude. I have a, I have a, a, a horse story. Um, a horror story or a horse? horse, a horse. Okay. Um, and you tell me your thoughts about it, coach. Uh, when I was younger, I think I was like eh, 21, 22. Uh, I used to party a lot. Mm -hmm. So I went to Mexico, you know, we had the banda Friday night or whatever, maybe Saturday. So the next day we went to the rancho and uh, my cousin has beautiful horses, Andaluces. You know, we just laced them up and I'm in shorts, jean shorts. And Jordans, right? Yeah, see, so we I, I got on the horse and we just went for a roll. And the ladies from the rancho, like they saw me through the window, I guess, or whatever, and ran back to my tia's house. How are you gonna let your your grandkids and your nephews, you know, ride a horse in shorts and tennis shoes? Mm -hmm. Like that's a disgrace to the men. Bro, they went. Oh, you can't do that. No, you can't, bro. Oh, you, gotta, you, gotta you, you have really? it's, it's disrespectful. Oh, I, I didn't know that either, and I was like super hungover, right? Mm -hmm. So we went, we went for a cruise around the the rancho. Mm -hmm. and dude, my 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 aunt, bro, she's like, don't you ever jump on a horse with tennis shoes and shorts ever again. Oh, it's both us and jeans. Yeah, I'm gonna, tell, and jeans. I'm gonna tell you a story. I'm sorry to interrupt you on that. We had a big fight in Mexico, Cancun. It was a big show. And it was the time of the WBC convention. Everybody was there. 
Bernard Hopkins, a lot of a lot of big fighters, big names. Pepe Gomez hosted a, a, a lunch for everybody, and I was out there with my wife because I had one of the fighters fighting the card. Pepe Gomez, Pepe Gomez says, "Hey, coach, I want you to come with us." We went to this ranch. They have a relo. They have a relo. They have an hacienda, and it was private. So we get in there, and I tell my wife, "This is, you know, this is I, I said to my wife." This is like Toys R Us from here, yeah. <laughs> you know, horses. We see the, we see all the horse stalls, all the horse stalls, and and then we go to this nice place, and they have nice tables, and then on the back they have sombreros hanging on the walls. They have spurs. They have um, horse saddles, like everywhere, beautiful. And I go, I go, babe, look, this is nice. She goes, yeah, I know. We ate after that. Like, yeah, we're gonna go. Presents to show. But I don't show. Hey, Beck, tell up music. Tell, please. So, so we go. That was Beck the bully, by the way. Yeah. Chubbs <laughs> uh, got Chubbs. Chubbs antenna went up. So we go to the to the redo. We go to the redo, and everybody's sitting there, right? And then I see the there's a guy singing on a horse, and then I see the scaramuzas running around, and I see some nice horses, and it's wow. And Pepe Gomez knows that, that I have horses and that I like horses. So then the main guy, El Charro de la, del Ruedo, El Charro del Rancho, estaba con sus hijos. Y traían unos caballos bien bonitos. And then Pepe was very drunk because they were serving tequila, everybody shots, y andaban, you know? So then Pepe was talking and making announcements, and then he tells, he called me, hey coach, come. I go, what's up? He goes, you want to ride the horse? I said, no. Come on, coach. I know you like it. I go, I love it, but I can't. I have shorts and I have sandals, and that's disrespectful for him. And the man tells me, go for it. I said, look, I have respect for you, and I know that as a child that you are, me getting on your horse and shorts and sandals, le doy permiso, go for it. Okay. I get on the horse, dude, I did some things on the damn horse. Yeah, people were like, Bernard Hopkins goes, how did you do that? <laughs> horses are my thing, you know? Yeah. And they were very amazed of the things that I can do with a horse because I love horses. Uh, if I can be at the ranch all day, I'll forget about everything if I'm with horses. Wow. Sometimes I go, I got three horses. And all the horses that I've had, in the, they were born here. And then I, I've seen them since they were born. To oh, wow. Really? Raised, yeah. Oh, and cool. I know them very well. I know what I can do with them. And and Don Victor has been working for me for about six years. He's the one that has taken care of them since they were babies. He's taught them everything they, they know. As a matter of fact, when I take my, my little girl, she's eight years old and she loves riding. And then when I go with him, I'm, I'm good because he knows the process of taking care of my daughter when she's on the horse. She wanted to learn how to ride a horse by herself. She always rode with me. But he goes, no. she goes, no, I want to ride with myself. You're eight years old. I'm a little concerned. You fall, and it always happens when somebody falls off a horse the first time. They get scared. Then when I get on a horse again, yeah. and that's not the process. When you fall off a horse, you have to get you on it again. I fell off a horse. Back. Yeah, and people don't, don't don't. I never got on again. Okay. Well, for a long time. And and, pe and people always say it in in the rules of a charro or a horse rider. If you fall off a horse, get back on, get back on it. Get I back couldn't on catch it. it. it took yeah, off. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get on it. it and gone. the problem is that people people lose control of the horse because. 
when the when the horse starts taking off, instead of holding on to him, you just want to hold on to something so you won't fall. Yeah, and, 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 that, 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 yeah. you don't you lean have, into yeah. it. I just freaked out. Yeah, you freak out. And I, I mean, I I love I love when the horse when a horse goes like this, and I'm I mean I'm on, I have pictures of my horses when they're when I make them I make them jump in the air like this, and they're like this, and I'm on the back. You know, and like oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. That's so cool, man. We should you should invite us to go ride with you one day. Whenever. I would love it. Whenever Don't bring your shorts and sneakers though. Nah, bro. hell no, bro. <laughs> I um I have to go buy boots and you know lace yeah, up. We, we can go. Actually, I have a friend next next door to my ranch that has a lot of beautiful horses and some really nice ones that we can go ride. Uh, uh, I've had some people from HBO come. We go out oh, there nice. and, I, and I take them out to the fields, orchards, stuff. It's beautiful trails out to yeah, Awesome. That's amazing. So what's next for Joel Diaz, coach? This weekend, this weekend, May 1st, there's a big card for the Mexican fans, Arriola mm -hmm. and Andy Reese. Mm -hmm. What you got? I have Omar Figueroa on that on that card that night against Abel Ramos. On the on the main event, I got Andy Reese. I think uh Chris Arriola is is already, you know, he hasn't fought in a long time. He's been inactive for a long time. But he looks good though. He looks good, yeah, he looks good, but I think right now it's uh, Andy Rich's moment. And yeah. I think uh, uh, Ariola, even though he looks good, he trains hard, I think he's already past his prime. And uh, right now is Andy Rich's moment. I think this fight is not going to go the distance. I no. think oh, wow. Andy Rich will stop um, Chris Ariola. You guys heard that first right here on the Boxing Club podcast. Yeah. Although Chris Ariola was one of the few guys to not get knocked out by Deontay Wilder. Oh. Yeah. His corner stopped it, but yeah. he, he didn't actually get knocked out. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, I have to agree with Coach. That's um, yeah, Andrew I, Ruiz, I think, rediscovered his... I actually, I, I don't want to leave behind the fact that I've always I've always trained a fighter that is like my brother, you know? And uh, I love this guy to death. He's always been one of my loyal fighters. And I've been with him day by day. I travel every week to go train him up in uh, Costa Mesa. Cub Swanson. Cub Swanson also fights May 1st mm. in Vegas. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be with him. My brother Antonio is going with him. We went to Uzbekistan. Antonio works for the Boys and Girls Club. He took some time off to go to Uzbekistan, and now he can't take too much time off. Going with Omar, we have to leave all week, and that will be a long time for Antonio to leave. So going to Vegas on Thursday, Cub Swanson recently lost. His long-term, his long-time manager, which was his father figure, best friend. After his last fight in December, uh, Kami, rest in peace. Great person, great human being. He was his manager. We shared a room together. Uh, we had a nice suite. He had his room. I had my room. We would meet in the middle, in the in, in the kitchen, have coffee. We talked about a lot of projects. Uh, the new gym was also part of our project. And uh, coming back the same week. The following weekend, he had a heart attack, and he passed. And uh, I know that it's a little tough for Cub, not having his long, long-time manager with him. But uh, Cub has experience. He's a very, very strong-minded fighter, and uh, he's always been like, like Tim Bradley, the underdog all the time, and he keeps winning. One of the best UFC fighters in my list is Cub Swanson. Uh, wishing him the best. He's fighting the same day, May first. In Vegas, my brother's gonna go with him. I'm gonna go with Omar. So this weekend, I have activity in the UFC and activity in the boxing. Oh, very good. Wow, that's good, Coach. Um, I have a question for you. If you had to pick one fighter to train for your last fight, who would it be and why? 
Like if, I, if, if, I, if you're going to retire, right? If the, me as a, if I, oh, as a coach. As a coach. If I have to... If I, if I, if I have the choice to pick a fighter to train before I retire... Who would it be and why? From the modern era? From oh, whenever training. For anything. From... You know, I've always... I've always thought about that. And honestly, I would have... I would love... I would have loved to train Juan Manuel Marquez. Really? Yeah. I mean, Juan Manuel Marquez had a great character in the, in, in, in the ring, in the training. Juan Manuel Marquez, very exciting, solid fighter with a lot of heart, a lot of balls. And, you know, watching him, watching him, watching his fights from the beginning of his career, he was always a very interesting fighter that I've always said, man, I wish I would train a fighter like that guy, you know, with, with that attitude, that energy. You know, that passion to the sport. I mean, it would have been interesting. And if I were to, if I were to choose, it would, uh, it would be him, or rest in peace, Diego Corrales. Oh, yeah. Diego Corrales. That's one of his favorites too. But Diego Corrales trained with us for a while. He trained here, prepared himself for a couple camps. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, very good. Yeah, he came with his with his trainer, with his father. Actually, uh, a quick story on him. He was getting ready for the IBF title. When he fought his first IBF title, mm -hmm. he was sparring a kid that recently passed away. That we used to train David, David Vasquez from Blythe. And in a sparring session, it was like a week before the fight, uh, David Vasquez was using some old Casanova gloves, the very old ones, and caught Diego Corrales right here in the eye and cut him right here. And he got really swollen. He got out of the ring, he was crying in like a week before the fight. And oh. it was his first, his first uh, title uh, oh. fight. And then I said, wow. I wasn't training him. I was just in the gym because he was using the gym in Coachella. And I said, wow. So I remember I told him, hey, don't worry about it. He's going to be fine because he got really swollen, like this big, and then it was like a cut in the middle. But it wasn't deep. So I told him, hey, relax, relax. And he's crying. He goes, oh, my first opportunity for the world title. I'm like, I said, hey, relax. I can help you. Relax. So I called my dad. My dad... He's not a doctor, but my dad grew up in, in the ranch and he, he knows, knows the tricks, the remedies and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. So I call my dad, like, wait, dad, look. And he goes, oh, don't tell him not to worry. You know, he's going to be fine. So my dad goes home and gets some, some sea salt, some hierbas here and there and took care of it. We go to his apartment and my dad, you know, puts it on him and he goes, hey, you're going to be fine. He puts a gloss over it and he goes, you're going to be okay. And, he's, and Corrales is very nervous. The next morning, my dad and I go to go visit him to see how the thing was. Knock on the door and he opens, hey, Diego, he's in his room. And when he came out, he goes, you think I'm gonna be okay? Yeah, you're gonna be okay, my dad, you're gonna be fine. My dad removed the gauze and that thing was no longer swollen. It was flat. And now you see like a little scratch right there. And he started like screaming. I can't believe this shit. What did you do? What did you do? My dad goes, you're fine. He goes, how did you do it? How did you like? My dad goes, relax, you're gonna be fine. And That's funny. Goes, no, I mean, last night it was like this. And it was bruised, and it was, and now it's just nothing. Oh, you see, like a little scratch. He goes, "You're gonna be fine. Just relax." And then my dad told him, "Look, you know, you still got a few more days for your fight. You're gonna go." He says, "Just use some clear nail polish, you know, over the the scratch." And then he went and fought and won the world title. Wow. He came back after and thanked my dad for going. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. So, you got anything, Luke? No, no, no. I, I pretty much touched on everything. Um, Who do you got, Canelo or Saunders? Canelo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No one beats him. He's gonna right take now. over the. Yeah. Canelo, Canelo's gonna, 
he's gonna go to the body early and slow Sanders down. I know, cause that's the plan. And uh, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a little complicated in the early rounds, but I think after the fourth, fifth round, Canelo is gonna start dominating. Yeah. So what's next for Beck? Beck or Wade? Uh, Beck was. You know what I was really excited for? Mm -hmm. When he was supposed to fight uh, Kovalev. Yeah, we oh, were all too many. Remember, we had, a, we had like a whole episode about that. Oh, yeah, yeah we it did. Was, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a dream that was crushed because that's what he wanted. He wanted that opportunity because that was, that was going to cut a him big time in, 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 in his career. You know, just the name itself. Yeah. You know, so we were, we were a, little, a little upset. I was bummed. We dude. were bummed because when we get that, we, we get those news, it's like, man, really? That's the fight that this guy needed. To catapult, catapult, yeah, to yeah, the next level for sure. Yeah. All right, coach. <clears throat> After you, you know, like you know what, I'm done. I want to retire. I want to enjoy my life. How do you want to be remembered in the sport? How do I want to be remembered? You know, it's sometimes it's hard. It's hard to choose how you want to be remembered because it's it's based on the on the choice of the people. People can remember you as a as a good guy, as a bad guy, or whatever. You know, like I said, uh, a lot of uh, most of the Latinos, you know, they don't support you the the way you know you should be supported. Yeah. I mean, everybody has their own choice. Believe me, I got fans that that love me on a daily basis. You know, and they're all coach, hey, we're here supporting you, we're here. But there's there's also fans that are you know criticize you, and you know they always throw those those negative comments at you. You know. Yeah. Basically, the thing is this: we're here, we're working. Uh, us trainers have a, a longer career than any fighter, because fighters come and go, and we're still gonna be here. But at the end of the, at the end of my career, I just want to be remembered as a as a hardworking coach, man, as a hardworking coach. And you know, I'm a very energetic person. I love to win. Uh, I generate a lot of energy to my fighters. And um, I mean, in this in this game, in this game, you gotta be always on point. Yeah. And you always gotta be on point. Prepare your fighters well, and always walk in the ring with that mentality that everything's gonna be okay. You remember sometimes fighters, trainers bring bring their fighters to the ring, but they only prepare for the good. They don't prepare for the bad. You gotta always prepare yourself for both the good and the bad because you never know when the bad's coming. So you gotta be always ready for whatever happens in there. If it's good or bad, be ready for both. Yeah, for sure. You got anything? Very good. No, I'm good. Well, we appreciate it, Coach. Thank, thank you. you so much, Coach, for this time. Thank really you appreciate it. Thank you for coming down. Thank you. Um, thank you. You know, don't forget, you guys, to check out Joel Diaz on Thursdays. Uh, he's <laughs> got a cool little podcast. I was cracking up. I was watching one of your episodes, and I just couldn't stop laughing. Um, you, you guys are hilarious. You guys, it, it's fun to watch. So uh, Thursdays. It's on YouTube, right? Yeah, we've been uh, doing that for over a year already. When the and pandemic we, and we just started. Right? We, uh, Beto Duran started that that podcast just to entertain people through the pandemic. You remember, everybody was on lockdown. Yeah. People were at home doing nothing. So he, one day he says, "Hey, coach, let's do, yeah, let's do it." And people started. Why? And then they start asking, "Hey, next week, next week." So the days that we don't do it because either I'm busy or I'm not here, but I tend to bring my uh, my laptop with me everywhere I travel. Mm. I've done it from from Arrowhead, I've done it well, from- Uzbekistan too, right? Uzbekistan, I've done it from, <laughs> awesome. from Puerto Rico, you know, Miami. But the thing is that people people are always asking, hey, are you gonna do it today? Gonna... No, it's, 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 it's really good it's because- It's entertaining. It's really we talk, entertaining. We talk boxing, we talk stories, 
you know, we talk about things that we've that we've lived in the past, fighters, most of the things that 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 have happened to us. And at the same time, we throw in a little jokes here and there, you know. But it's really funny because people really enjoy it. When we started doing it, people were right there from beginning to end. There was times in which it was supposed to be an hour and it was three hours. Yeah, that's true. I got, I got stuck on the three-hour one. <laughs> oh, man. It's, but it's good, you know. I yeah. like the fact that people are always tuning in. They're supporting us. Yeah, people you know, are in, stay yeah, interested. They're giving, they're giving us that support, and, and we really appreciate it because when people, when, when people are supporting you, obviously, you know, they motivate us to keep giving them back, you know? Yeah. That's why when, when somebody tells me, hey, coach, hey, I'm always there. I mean, I'll take, you know, I'll take a little bit of my busy schedule to provide, you know, for you guys because if it's not for you guys, we're not, we won't be here, you know? Yeah. I always believe that. And I always tell my fighters, uh, when people ask you for a picture, do it. Never turn your back because that picture goes far. That picture is going to generate a couple other people that, that are going to know you. If I take a picture with you, later on, hey, you know, I took a picture with this guy, and then now they know you. That's not now it's not one, it's two, three people. It's yeah. a domino effect. Yeah. So we, we had a we had a Beck episode, right? And I had a lot of people hit me up like, hey, who who who's Beck Namir? Who's Beck Namir? Who's Beck? Yeah. And I was like, bro, check him out. Like yeah. he's a monster. Yeah, we he's had amazing. A, almost on a full episode talking about him. And I would get it like either a message or mm -hmm. you know, they come talk to me, be like, hey dude, I checked out that big yeah. guy that you're talking about and he's a monster so just fight like by just generating conversation mm -hmm. about you know certain fighters or certain people mm -hmm. you, you generate that conversation and you create a buzz yeah. and and you get people interested mm -hmm. you know so i have a lot of people that hit me up to this day because of this podcast they yeah. know who different fighters are they yeah. know they know of other fighters yeah. you know and and i think that's what our, our main objective is is, is to educate people on up and coming fighters, not just the Canelos and the Triple Gs yeah, and yeah, the, exactly. you know all the big names. Like there's a lot of solid fighters mm -hmm. that are coming up that people should start paying attention to, mm -hmm. and I feel like that's where we bridge the gap, you know, for for the for the not so yeah. your you know educated fans. Yeah, because those those fighters like the Canelos, Ryan Garcia's, they're already up there. You know, we got some fighters that are coming up strong oh yeah and they're the ones that are going to be here in, in, in the, the next, next era you know yeah. Yeah. So. hey real quick before we leave what do you think about this youtube sensation that's going on right now in boxing oh that's a good question that's a great question you know i really don't uh, i'm not with it but i'm not against it honestly i mean lately all this sport has has become a business in that way you know and i don't blame them i mean they're doing their their circus to me, it's a circus. It's not a. It's not a boxing thing because they're not legitimate fighters. They're not legitimate boxers. That's but exhibitions, right? Exhibitions, yeah. but but they got a fan base. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you, a lot of people are against it. And the reason why I say I'm not against it, but I'm not with it, uh, for it, because when when Jojo Diaz and like Madalia fought in Miami a day before the Super Bowl, there was no fans. If if they wouldn't have been on that card, we wouldn't have fans. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's what they bring them in, to bring the fans. And the fans are the ones that, you know, give the, the, the sport something to see. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, they've been help. They've been helping. A lot of fighters, oh, I'm not, I, I, I don't like it. But, yeah, I mean, you're watching some big fights, you know, because they throw them in there. They got a, such a big fan base that they're tuning in. Yeah. 
You know, I, I mean, honestly, right now, maybe, uh, what's his name? Paul. Logan Paul. Logan Paul. Paul. These guys, they probably sell more than than, than a legitimate fighter. Well, they sold yeah. two, two million pay-per-views. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> See what I mean? Because they have such a, a such a, a, a big fan base. I, I guarantee you that there's fighters right now that they won't even they won't even sell 500. And look at these guys. That's crazy. And they, wouldn't, they, and they wouldn't land a punch on them. Exactly. They were far yeah. more talented, but, but don't remember, have a fan base. This new this new era nowadays is about Money. social media, social, social media, media yeah. followers. Before we didn't have that, you know. Now it's like these guys are generating attention, and they got a big fan base behind them that that supports them, and those are the ones you know that are always watching. I mean, if if Logan Paul has, let's say, ten million followers, if five of those tune in, why tune in? That's five, five million. million. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. we're, 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 the, the pay-per-view market is not what it used to be. No. Now it's going into the streaming. Exactly. And the social media platforms to capture the new yeah. generation of youngsters that are interested in seeing more of that versus. True. Yeah. And, and and they're the ones that are generating the more business for the network because because they're selling more. Yeah. It, it's sad, but I mean, honestly, to me, recently I made a comment saying that they have to bring the old fighters back to get some attention in the sport of boxing. Oh, yeah. Like, Chavez is fighting Camacho Jr. Uh, Soto, Caraz, Soto Caraz is fighting Marco Antonio Barrera. Uh, oh, that's else? right. Uh, uh, Miguel Cotto is fighting... Marquez. Marquez, Marquez. or something like yeah. that, you know? So, Marquez. now they're bringing these old retired fighters to do shows to generate attention in the sport because it seems like these new era fighters are not generating the attention anymore. I mean, why do you think Haney and, and Ryan Garcia don't want to fight. Teofimo Lopez and Ryan and Haney, they don't want to fight each other. I mean, it's not like before. Before, like, hey, I want to be the best. Show me that you're the best. Okay, you fight this guy and you fight that guy. Nowadays, it's like, oh, I got to wait. There's got to be a reason. Oh, if I don't fight Pacquiao, I'm not going to fight nobody. Come on. You got to, if you want to tell the people that you are the best, fight the best. Whoever's out there. Whoever big name is out there, fight there, should, there shouldn't be an excuse, There right? shouldn't be an excuse. But that's that's the thing now. You know, nowadays they, there's options. Before there wasn't. Before it was like, okay, you're the number one, you fight the number two. Now the number fight, the number one fights like the number fifteen. You know? Yeah. Because they're buzzing. That's crazy. Yeah. They're popular. Because they're popular, and I have oh, because I have a big fan base. I have. I'm the I, I have the right to choose whoever I fight. Yeah. So that's like that, that. that's what I was trying to explain yeah. to you. That, yeah. That I, I, I'm the more popular, not by accolades, but. By yeah. social media, so I'm the A side, and I want all the money. Or else Sometimes you you, you got a, a great fighter, a better fighter than than this guy over here, but this guy has a bigger fan base. Popularity and popularity, uh, he has a choice of of if you're gonna be on the A side or not. Who's walking in the ring first? Who's walking in the ring second? You know, That's either true. you're gonna walk in with a band, a live band, or not. You know. Uh, well, he don't have enough popularity as me. He don't have a big fan base like me. So and he's too like, risky. Yeah, he's too, yeah. He's, like he's not I mean, popular enough. Too risky. The new era of boxing really sucks for a lot of people. But I mean, we're in it. We just have to adapt. But in reality, uh, I think Floyd Mayweather is a smart businessman, and by making a circus with Conor McGregor, he opened up a can of worms. <laughs> and now everybody wants to do it, and that's what it is. Now look at that. Now, yeah. I mean, I don't blame Mayweather. I actually say, damn, he's he's a smart businessman. Yeah. Because he generated a big a big circus with Conor McGregor, and there was actually people that thought that McGregor would be Mayweather. You know, I mean, you can't. A lot of money now, off of that. Let's let's bring Mayweather into into McGregor's era and his area. 
of, of fighting yeah, in the no, MMA. No, no, she won't ever beat him. No, but it was boxing. McGregor's not a boxer. He's an MMA fighter. Yeah, but McGregor's never been paid what, yeah. he's, what he got exactly. paid. Of course, yeah, he, he did for the, Yeah, yeah more so for the, the And they, they had to sell it. They had to sell it. They have to They have to present themselves like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to knock it out. Make people believe like it's happening. Yeah. But if you are a really, a really boxing analyst and uh, you know boxing, you know it was never going to happen. Yeah. Well, thank you, Coach. Thank, thank you, you very much for this opportunity. You know we appreciate it. Yes, sir. Uh, what's your your IG so people can follow you? Hit Coach Weldias on Instagram. And you got that's how you got his Instagram. Mm-hmm. All right, Coach Joel Joel Diaz on Instagram. Don't forget to tune in to Thursdays on uh, Thursdays. Thursdays <laughs> <laughs> on uh, on YouTube. Uh, check that shit out. It's, it's really good. It's very informative. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. You got Coach singing some some uh, Vicente Fernandez. Just don't 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 include Antonio in it. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio is a black ball. <laughs> Nobody likes him. Oh, <laughs> man. And don't forget to tune into the fight undercard fight. Oh the, yes, the, the May first. May first. Cub Swanson in Las Vegas. Antonio will be there. And I will be in Carson with Omar Figueroa on the uh, Andy Reese uh, Chris Arlola on the card. It's gonna be a great show. Well, good luck. Uh, great, great event. So I'm pretty sure you guys are gonna do great. You know, hopefully you guys come out with the victory. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's that wraps up our interview for today. Um, we're in with the Desert King, the King of the Deserts, right. Diaz. Thank you, man. Thank you very it. much. Uh, Boxing Club Podcast, guys. We're out. We're out.